Welcome to the Focus and Chill podcast, where we discuss productivity tactics that work for neurodivergent individuals. Every episode, we interview guests with lived experience of neurodiversity who also have a solid productivity and habit game, and pass the learnings on to you, our wise and benevolent audience. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Joey. I'm Joey, and I coach creatives to get moving on their most ambitious projects through the power of solid habits and strong focus. I'm also a perpetual student of psychology and perpetually on a quest to a one-armed chin-up. And I'm Jeremy, a neuro-spicy software developer turned startup founder, building the Focus Bear app to help people with ADHD and autism thrive at work. My cool party trick is leaving parties early so I can get to sleep in time for my two-hour-long morning routine. The Focus and Chill podcast is brought to you by Focus Bear, a habit and productivity app that makes healthy habits and deep work the path of least resistance. If you have a tendency to check emails or scroll through Instagram first thing in the morning, but long to develop a meditation and exercise habit first thing, Focus Bear can help you. The app blocks distractions on all your devices and guides you through your habits one at a time. Throughout the day, Focus Bear assists you to stay in deep work by blocking websites and apps that are unrelated to your chosen focus mode. Life's not all about work though. You'll be prompted to take regular breaks to rest your eyes and stretch your muscles. At the end of the day, Focus Bear helps you switch off. Work-related apps get hidden so you can unwind and sleep well. Check out the app by going to focusbear.io. Welcome to episode number 46 of the Focus and Chill podcast. We're thrilled to be joined by Eric Tivers today. Eric is a trained and licensed clinical social worker turned coach and is the founder and CEO of ADHD Rewired. Since 2014, Eric has produced over 500 episodes of his podcast, ADHD Rewired, which is just amazing. He's a leader in providing online group coaching and community-based growth programs for adults with ADHD. His coaching and accountability groups were recognized at the 2019 International Conference on ADHD as an innovative program of the year. Eric also runs a virtual co-working community for adults with ADHD called Adult Study Hall. You can learn more about ADHD Rewired at ADHDrewired.com. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It's good to be here. To start off with, can you tell us about your journey with ADHD? Sure. Um, Well, like most of your listeners, I've always had it. I didn't know that I had it uh, until um, I got diagnosed my sophomore year of college, Um, my freshman year. I uh, was a um, advertising and marketing uh, major. My first semester at uh, at the university, um, I got a two point two GPA, um, which is not very good, uh, but it was fair considering that I was definitely had opening more beers than books. So second semester comes, and mm-hmm. with the threat from my parents, I said, if you don't get these grades up, you are coming home because we are not paying this, you know, private school tuition uh, for you to get those kind of grades. And I was like, all right. Um, and, you know, I had a, not the best relationship with my uh, with my folks. Um, and so like the, the threat of having to go home was was a high motivator. So I've studied a lot and I spent a lot of time in, in the library um, and uh, I was rewarded with that hard work with a, a 1.8. Oh, brutal. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and it was during the summer in between, uh, or after my my freshman year, um, and I had a, this chance meeting with a, uh, with a a friend, and she was telling me that she was 
diagnosed with ADHD and she was describing it to me. And it was one of those like huge light bulb moments of like, wait, that's ADHD. Cause it was like, this person was describing my internal experience cause I was more inattentive. So I wasn't hyperactive. Um, and when she was, she was describing how it was for her for reading. This is like one of the big challenges that I would always have is I would start reading something and then my mind would start thinking about something that was triggered by something I was reading, but not necessarily related to what I was reading. And then that thought would then branch off into two other thoughts. And then those two thoughts would branch off into two other thoughts. So I'm having like 30 thoughts all at the same time, still while reading the words on the page, but not processing anything that I'm reading. Right. So I get to the end of whatever I had to read. Okay, I did my reading. I have no clue what I just read, but I did the reading. <laughs> and so I, I was able to convince my my folks to give me one more shot because um, I actually had a bunch of grant money and uh, the the terms of the, the grants that I had was um, if I didn't get my grades up for this upcoming semester, that then I was going to lose the grant money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we made an arrangement with my my parents and I got sort of one more shot with this new information of this might be ADHD. I went the very first day, I got back to uh, campus, made an appointment at with the uh, school psychiatrist, he did the evaluation. And I remember him saying to me, he's like, wow. So no one ever identified you as having ADHD. Um, mm-hmm. He's like, cause you know, he did a l- little bit of the explaining of, of it, but he's like, you have like off the charts inattentive ADHD. Mm. Like, wait, what would you say? I wasn't paying attention. Um, so I got a prescription for Adderall. And you know, I, I literally look at my life as like pre the first time I took Adderall and post. Hmm. Like, because I remember that very first time that I took Adderall as my sophomore year. Um, I'm reading this book called uh, Crested Kimono, which is uh, I was also a sociology minor. I, I switched majors from advertising and marketing to social work uh, with a sociology minor. And we're in this book, Crested Kimono. It's about the the uh, comparative business family uh, in in uh, the Japanese culture. And the reason that it's relevant that I just the fact that I remember what that book was, it was the first time I got that I remember getting to the end of a chapter of a book, and like I knew what I had just read. And I remember, and I like you know this is twenty four years ago now. I think I still get kind of choked up when I should, like talk about this story. Because it was, you know, this feeling that I think a lot of people with ADHD have of like, on one hand, like feeling they're intelligent, but on the other hand, really questioning how, if that's even accurate, because the grades are not reflecting that intelligence, Mm. right? And I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like I, not only do I know what I just read, I actually enjoyed the process of reading because like, I didn't think it was even possible. I didn't know any different that you can actually just have one thought at a time. You know, that opening scene in the Simpsons where the clouds clear, like that's kind of what it was like. Mm-hmm. It was like my, it was in a fog my entire life, but I never knew it. Cause that was all I ever knew. And it was like, Whoa, I can just focus on what I'm intending on doing. Hmm. Um, and so it was, you know, it, it was a, it was a game changer for me. Mm. Yeah. That sounds massive. And it's interesting because I, I guess there's the aspect of inattentive ADHD where you probably can hyper-focus on things. Is that part of why it wasn't picked up earlier? Do you, was, 
was high school an enjoyable experience for you? And no, 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 I, it, it was, uh, you know, I, I had that, what they call it, the, the FAFA syndrome where it's like F-A-A-F-A-A. It's like, you're doing well, like, or you're not doing well. And then it's like, okay, I have to scramble to get my grades up just enough so I can, you know, pass this class. But it wasn't like, I never actually got A's until I started taking Adderall after my diagnosis. Um, you know, so after I started the, the medication, um, every semester was about a 375. Like I don't think I got anything below a 35 once I was um, on, on meds. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, and I already forgot your question. Yeah. No, you answered it in terms of why it wasn't picked up earlier, that it, it sounds like it was also almost a, a cycle of scrambling. Yeah. But I also had, you know, I, I, because I wasn't hyperactive, like I was in my own imagination, like I'm, I'm a self-taught musician. And I remember like all through school, like literally playing like symphonies, like on my desk with like, imagining it was the piano, right? Like, and, uh, you know, that, you know, for me, music was one of my big areas of hyper-focus um, for, for many, many, many years of my life. Um, so much so that I have like issues with my hand and, and my back. I would sit at the piano for so many hours um, and sort of ignoring all of my other bodily cues that are telling me to take a break. Um, mm-hmm. there, there were times where I was literally falling asleep while playing piano. When I was in college, uh, I would play sometimes for 10 to 12 hours at a time. Wow. And I was literally sitting at the piano, like falling asleep. Epic. <laughs> Did you consider doing music as your major instead? Um, so the... Th- you know, it, it's so funny. We talk about like imposter syndrome. So I'm a self-taught. I don't know how to read music. When I was in my uh, in middle school, I played the trumpet. Um, and and again, I was not really reading the music. I was, you know, I can, as long as I could hear the song a couple of times, I could play what I needed to play. And I would just sort of look at the sheet music and just say, all right, this is the part where it goes up. This is the part where it goes down. That's like, it's all yeah. I really needed to guide. And then for a high school audition, you had to show up and you were going to be given a piece of music you've never seen before. Oh, brutal. So I did not show up for that. I was like, okay, I'm done. And it's it's a huge regret of mine. Um, when I was struggling in, in college, like I um, I had told my, my parents, I'm like, you know, I, I just want to travel and, and play music because I was doing some some gigging. Um, as a part of the, the arrangement, the, the, the negotiation of, okay, I, my parents said, if you can get the grades up and you can keep this grant money, you can take uh, it's a, take two thousand dollars, and you can get yourself some new music gear, and like that to me, that was so motivating because I really wanted uh, a couple new keyboards, mm. and and that you know that that did help as a, a motivator. Um, but I was like, there was definitely more than one time, uh, you know, during that time where I'm like, I just kind of want to quit school and play music. It's great that it wasn't a constant struggle as well and that you were saying you, you began to enjoy the process and that you were not only doing better at school, but it was f- more fun. It was, you know, and it it's interesting too, because once I saw that, oh, I could be successful, then that's, I think it was that first semester after uh, starting to take Adderall that my sort of perfectionism was also born. Because now that like, oh, here's what I can achieve. Now I have to keep achieving this. And so, you know, I didn't have a lot of skills yet at that time. So a, a big part of what my, um, you know, I had a good work ethic and I just worked really hard. I pulled way, way too many all-nighters. Um, you know, if give or pull an all-weeker, 
because if you've ever been oh. curious hallucinogenics, you don't even need to take them. Like just pull mm. it all over, and it's a pretty similar experience. Yeah, even after two days of not sleeping, I, I'm starting to hear voices. Oh my god! Like the the wall starts breathing. It's just, I mean, it's yeah, it it is. And I did that a lot in college, where it was just like, all right, here's another all nighter. Is that something that changed over time? It did. You know, it was uh, when I was in grad school, um, I on average got about two hours of sleep a night. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, I, I used to joke saying that I think grad students should be in the DSM in the diagnostic. <laughs> um, because it was so unhealthy. And then I was talking to some other students and, you know, so we all have our internships and, um, you know, and some of these other students in my, in my cohort, where not only did they have the internships, they also had a full-time job and they were parents. And I was like, how do you do this? Uh, like, I'm, I feel like I'm barely keeping up. I'm reading everything. And they're like, wait, you read everything? I was like, well, <laughs> yeah. Like, don't you? They're like, no. I was like, wait a minute. And it was like, it was like the last two weeks of grad school that I learned from other, uh, some of my peers in the program that nobody was really reading even close to everything. I guess it was just me. And it was like, you know, on average, like 500 pages of kind of clinical text Whoa. a week. Wow. Right? And because like I wanted to be, you know, I was in a sense kind of trading my health and self-worth for that that performance for like the grades. Like I get the grades. That means I'm worthy. And it really wasn't until a couple of years after that um, when I got introduced to uh, Brene Brown did I realize sort of how unhealthy of a relationship I actually had with productivity and, and success. Um, and it's interesting because I look back at, at grad school now, and if I could go back and do it again, I would very intentionally do worse. Because I finished with the 4.0, which at the time was like, oh my God, this is amazing. But I'm like, oh my God, like I was like killing myself in the process. Mm. Probably was no longer enjoyable when you were working that hard. Yeah. For sure. Not much time for music then. Well, it's, it's funny too that you say that. So right before I started grad school, I actually auditioned with this uh, reggae band and got offered the gig to go on tour with them. And I was like, if I have some success with this and enjoy this, there's a good chance. Like I, I thought that it might be harder to get myself to go back to school. So I figured, all right, well, let me get this degree and then it's mine. And then I can make decisions about what I want to do with the rest of my life. But, you know, I got the, the, the degree and then I got the job and then I got, you know, the girl and then I had the family and then it's like fast forward 20 years almost. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. I have other passions that I also have that I kind of forgot about. And so, I, you know, over the last couple of years, I've been really trying to uh, kind of come back to some of those things. Hmm, that's great to hear. I'd be keen to hear about your perspective in terms of it's great to hear about your own story, but from all the guests that you've interviewed and your observations from the last 20 years or so about how you've seen perceptions change about ADHD, because I mean, I only got diagnosed last year and I, I saw ADHD as a bit like how you were describing in the beginning that it was probably more perceived as the hyperactive side. So are you seeing more awareness now in society and a, a shifting, shifting in the awareness? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things. Um, you know, one of the things that I think has changed, and this is actually kind of a, a recent shift, 
is the uh, support people are having actually in the workplace um, with disclosure. Because for, you know, for a long, long time, my standard sort of thoughts were like, don't disclose ADHD in the workplace. Share what you need to be successful. You don't need to actually describe, like talk about ADHD in order to share what you need to be successful. Right? Like, you know, if like for me, like a cubicle farm, it would be like the worst possible work environment I could put myself in. And I actually did once have a job in a cubicle farm and it was awful. Um, so, but then, you know, so I had this, uh, an interview with someone on the podcast tonight where I, where I shared that, like, you know, it's just not disclosing unless like the writing is on the wall that like you're about to get fired or, the, you know, or a performance improvement plan based on something related to your ADHD. Um, and there was a lot of people that responded. There was a, a, a um, was tagged in a, a comment that was in another ADHD uh, Facebook group. And what was really actually kind of surprising and in a wonderful way is how many people were kind of disagreeing with what I was saying and saying that they were, they, they had disclosed in the workplace and had a positive experience with this, this disclosure. And so I do think that there is a, a, a shifting in um, sort of the, the thinking around neurodivergence in the workplace. Um, I don't think it's where it needs to be still, but I think that over the last couple of years, I do think that there has been a really big positive shift of understanding sort of just different, you know, the way different brains are, are wired. Um, yeah. So I think that's one of the the big things um, that mm. I've seen change. Um, and then like sort of a, a, like a smaller thing, but, it, but uh, when, it, when I was in school, um, as a social worker, one of the the things we it was really um, sort of drilled into us is is the use of person first language, you know, of you know a person with ADHD, not an ADHD person, and you know, and for the first 10, 15 years of doing this, I'm like, yep, like person first language, even though like it's sometimes awkward to say it because it's more words and all this stuff. My thinking has shifted around that. You know, I like I've had people if my my siblings who have actually said to me, like, not everything is ADHD, Eric. I'm like, but here's the thing. When you have ADHD, you can't really separate ADHD from the rest of your life. Like it, mm. it really does actually weave through everything. So I, I am definitely, uh, I've let go of this, like, you have to use person first language. Like, how about we use the language that other people want to use for themselves? And then we can use what we want for ourselves. So now, well, like adopting ADHD is, or I have ADHD, yeah. is that the difference you mean? Yeah. So like, I, I will sort of flip between like, you know, ADHDers um, and having ADHD, um, but I'm not as, as uh, rigid about the, uh, you have to use person first language, you know, and, and I'll see people on in different Facebook groups and online that used to sort of like jump on people for that. But then I think really from the autism community, they are the ones that really push back against this. They're like, stop saying I'm a person with autism. I'm an autistic person. Right. And it's like, okay, like let's, let's listen to the people who this is actually impacting. I guess that would imply that it's something that needs to be treated. Whereas maybe the thing that you mentioned before as well, in terms of greater acceptance, maybe there's greater awareness of the strengths. And I, I personally don't want to get rid of my divergent thinking and my creativity. Maybe that's a, a way to consider it, that it has its pros and its cons. Yeah, you know, it's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a big proponent of the whole like ADHD as a superpower um, thinking. And I know that, that there are people that that really works for them. I think for me, like, do I think ADHD 
comes with some inherent strengths. Yeah, I think probably does, even though there's not a lot of research that actually supports that idea. Um, I do think just from, you know, my own life experience and the, you know, over thousands of people that I've worked with, with ADHD, like, I think generally speaking, we tend to be more creative, which comes with the the uh, divergent thinking. Um, but again, not always. Um, we tend to um, be more outside the box uh, thinkers. Um, we tend to take more risks, which can be a strength or not. Um, but I think the the for me, I think it's important to look at the whole package. Like, all right, what are our strengths, and can we use our strengths to help us? around navigate around some of our challenges right like i think it's really important that we also are really uh try to do everything we can to increase our self-awareness around what our challenges are but let's not spend all of our time just trying to improve our challenges like let's also like let's really strengthen our strengths right let's what are we really good at let's get amazing at it let's let us build mastery around it right because i think that when you have adhd when you have uh you know, when you're interested in something, right? Like our brain, it's like a kid in a candy shop, right? Like mm. it's getting all the dopamine it needs because it is interested. Yeah, absolutely. You started talking then about the people that you work with, which is a good way to, to move into the type of work that you do because you have, uh, like many ADHDs, you have multiple different projects that you're working on. Always, yeah. So my my big thing is, you know, I run these intensive coaching and accountability groups. Um, so they, it's a 10 week, uh, group it meets three times a week. So it's a group of uh, about 12 people, um, it meets three times a week. And then within our 12 person group, we create, um, uh, three accountability teams of four members and they will meet in addition twice a week. So it's, it's, you know, it, it is a really intense program and then they have uh, daily accountability around their top three things. And it really goes through a lot of the different components of, um, you know, ADHD management, but it is not just about the productivity, even though a lot of the stuff that we do, it does center around, you know, time awareness and, and learning how to really understand. All right. So I think this thing takes an hour. I've tracked it now three times. This is takes about three hours. Well, let me look <laughs> at some other things. And I, I find that this is my, my ratio is that when my gut tells me one time, I know that I have to like times that by three. And that's, you know, for me. And we look at routines and we look at, you know, uh, daily, weekly, uh, yearly planning. Um, but that's sort of the the structured uh, context. But what we really are doing is looking at acceptance and uh, and sort of building that self-awareness. And what's so neat to me is, you know, to me, I think group coaching is kind of like this magical onion peeler, right? It's like people come in with, with a couple ideas maybe of what they want to work on. And then it's like, once we start getting into the work, it's like the, the onion just continues to peel. Like, oh yeah. Or people will say like, oh, yeah, I've, 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 I accept my ADHD. And then they come in and they're like, oh yeah, I have more work to do around that. Right. And it's, and that piece is so important. And, you know, so, so many of our alumni will say, you know, we heard the importance and the value and the impact of community, but without, before going through it, they would say that they had no real idea of how important community actually is in the in the realm of managing uh, ADHD. That, that idea of like, not just intellectually knowing you're not alone, but emotionally, socially, you know, connecting with others. Where when you see yourself 
in someone else, when you see yourself reflected back, and when you see somebody else who maybe is beating themselves up and being really hard on themselves, and you also see that they're doing all these other great things that they are not giving themselves credit for, like, hey, like, you're being really hard on yourself, and look at all these other things, and then you start to realize, oh, wait a minute, I think I'm doing that too. Right. And so that self-compassion piece, you know, it's like, I think that self-compassion really can be one of the hardest, but most important things that we really work on when we have ADHD, you know, because if, if anything, like we are going to screw stuff up more than neurotypical people. We just will. Right. Yeah. So like, instead of beating ourselves up, which I you know jokingly will say that, you know, if I thought beating ourselves up was an effective way to do better. I would come up with some, you know, creative exercises and what's the best, most efficient way to beat ourselves up. Right. And when I put it that way, people realize that's kind of an absurd uh, construct. Right. So it's like, ah, oh, like even when we are screwing up, that is actually when self-compassion is so important. That is when we have to say, okay, like that didn't go the way I wanted it to, or whoops, like I was doing this this routine thing really well and I don't know what happened, but I think the last time I did it was three weeks ago. You know, like recognizing that and going, okay, where am I at right now? And what can I do to take that first step to get back on track? Because, you know, so many people, when they are thinking about wanting to manage their ADHD better, they're like, I just want to be more consistent. I just want to be more consistent. Like, let go of consistency. Focus on resilience resilience is the act of getting back up, right? That is something we can do something about. But with the, the only consistent thing around ADHD is that it's inconsistent. I think letting go of this idea of us try to be more consistent because, you know, the idea of like lagging uh, indicators, like in business, right? like consistency is a lagging indicator, right? If we look at consistency as a, as an average of like, Let's look at the number of days we are sort of on our game versus the days that we're not on our game. If we just focus on getting back up, that's where the consistency as a result will be improved, but not to focus on consistency itself because it's that's a hard thing to control and all you're left with is beating yourself up, which I have yet to see ever help. That's really interesting because that's always been my my goal in life to be more consistent and it felt very ephemeral and, and hard to do, especially if it's things about my mental state. But if one of my goals was I just want to be able to pay more attention during work and, and pay more attention to my wife. But like you said, it's a lagging indicator that I, I can't magically make that happen. And one example too is with around like planning, right? So uh, in, in our coaching groups, you know, we help people with doing long-term planning and, you know, and it's great when, when you're in your flow of doing your, your daily and weekly planning, cause you're, it's, it's being informed by your long-term planning, but like any good ADHD or like, we're gonna, it's going to slip away from us sometimes. Right. And it happens to me too. And I, the analogy I sort of like is, you know, think about a, a marathon runner. Now let's say someone has run multiple marathons. Maybe they had an injury. And they've been on the couch for the last couple of years and have not done anything really active. And now that they're starting to maybe heal and, and maybe ready to start working out again, they don't get up off the couch and go, okay, I'm going to get off the couch right now and go run a marathon. Right. It's like, they start with the basics. They start with maybe a, a brisk power walk or a short jog. Right. And I think 
our ADHD strategies need to be just like that. Like, great. We had this nice stretch where we were, we were really killing it. Right. And then ADHD showed up and was winning for a while. Okay. We're, we recognize it. What could we do to get back to what we were doing? We're not going to pick it back up right where we left off. We, we're going to have to take a couple of steps back so we can meet ourselves right where we're at in order to, to then once again, be at or further along where we slipped. You're describing my meditation habit perfectly. <laughs> I had it half an hour every day. And now I've it slipped back to five minutes and I've gradually been increasing it by one minute per week. And that's been helpful. Speaking of marathons, are you a, a runner in addition to your interest in music? I, I am not a runner. I am a, uh, I used to do a lot of cycling. Um, and then, well, more mountain biking. Um, and because I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie and my bones aren't the best, like I actually have, when I was 19, I was diagnosed with osteopenia, which is like premature osteoporosis. Um, so I used to do stupid stuff on a mountain bike regularly. I've broken multiple ribs, like more than once. Like <laughs> doing, that just like seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, you know, I wasn't hyperactive. I was impulsive and still have some impulsivity. Uh, but I've I've flown into a tree before. Like you know, if you if you make really direct contact with a tree when you're on your bike and your your chest hits it just right, you'll actually get the pattern of the bruise will be the bark of the tree. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I don't recommend it. Um, so I used to do a lot of of that. Um, so I stepped away from that because I couldn't like I couldn't behave myself on my bike. If I saw something that looked like yeah. I could jump, I'd try doing it. Um, and then my back would be you know really upset with me. Um, so I, I do play a lot of pickleball. Um, that's my, my favorite form of exercise, uh, now. I don't know if that's, uh, if you've ever played or heard of pickleball. Oh yeah. I've, I haven't played it myself, but I've got a friend who loves it. So it's sort of a mixture between table tennis and tennis. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. It's, it's super fun and it's very ADHD friendly because there's a whole kind of culture of, of pickleball where you, it's open play in a lot of places where you just show up. So you don't have to plan to like, you know, meet with other people. You just show up and other people are also showing up. So in that realm, it's very ADHD friendly. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, but exercise is a really important part of my uh, ADHD management. Hmm. And how about music? So I have been trying to play music more. I've been trying to get back into it more. Um, it, it's funny when, when I, I go through these cycles where I'm like, I kind of rededicate myself to getting back into to playing music. And then I'm then reminded again why I sort of allowed myself to take a bit of a step away was I was like, when I used to play for hours and hours and hours at a time, like my hands would hurt so bad. I would mm. like, I was like dropping coffee cups. Like, Ooh. and so I was like, oh yeah. Like when, they, when the hand cramp comes, it's like, oh yeah. Like hand stuff is not the kind of pain you want to push through. Like, I wish someone told me this when I was younger. Um, but yeah, you know, it's I, I do try to play more. Um, it's it is more of just a creative outlet for me right now. I would love to to form a band uh, again at some point. Um, so yeah, because because I, I do love music. That is it, to me. That is um, especially if I get to play with some other good musicians who are good at improvising and can do some vocal harmony. Like to me, that's like that's like the magic land where my brain is most happiest. Hmm. Yeah, that always looks amazing. You mentioned routines before when you were talking about the structured accountability groups. What does your morning routine look like? 
My morning routine uh, well, it depends on um, so I I share fifty uh, fifty custody with my with my ex, so it kind of depends on whether I have my son or not. Um, but it's I'm typically waking up you know, somewhere between six thirty and seven. Um, like typically even on the weekends, because one of the things that I've learned is that like I will pay the price Monday and Tuesday and sometimes Wednesday if I allow myself to stay up really late on the weekends. So if I'm staying up late on the weekends. I'm really trying to make sure it's really worth it. Like I'm going to go see live music or something. Um, like, so I, I know the cost. Um, so I, I get up, I literally make the same breakfast like 99% of the time. It's I use a, a, a high protein oatmeal with strawberries, bananas, uh, blackberries, and blueberries. I add some, uh, uh, some nuts uh, to it and I do that like 99% of the time, because I don't have to then make a decision about what I want to have for breakfast. I yeah. also do the same thing for lunch. I make the same salad almost every day. Um, it was one of the things where I had someone say, you think maybe you're possibly on the autism spectrum? And I was like, maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I was yeah, thinking that. I wasn't going to ask it. <laughs> right. And it's like, and, and because I have uh, this year, I've actually been been questioning that my myself, and I actually still don't have an answer uh, to it. But one of the things that I realized I I started doing that was because I understand that when we have when we have things that are routine that we're going to be doing every day, let's if we can take the decision making process out of it, we are now saving executive function. So I this always hmm. became a a strategy to preserve executive function, so I can you know, get to this point where I'm kind of doing stuff a little bit on autopilot because this is what I do every day. So I don't have to make these decisions about, you know, is today an egg day or is today an oatmeal day? Like if I wake up and I'm really jonesing for some eggs, I'll have eggs. But like, you know, but it's 99% of the time it's oatmeal. Yeah, I'm the same. My parents always thought I was weird for that. But I guess that's the reason that I was saving executive function for the things I care about. Yeah, and so like I, I try to, work out uh, most mornings um you know it's 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 always tricky for me when the the weather starts changing because i have a really good like routine where i'm playing like outdoor pickleball and then when they were in between like when the indoor season hasn't quite started yet but it's not really nice enough to play outside um and us pickleballers have to be kind of like a little loopy like we'll play when it's really cold out like it doesn't make sense i think i started especially because of, uh, of covid when like we couldn't do anything but we could do outdoor pickleball. And I was playing when it was like 35 degrees out. Like we were still playing uh, pickleball. Which is like uh, freezing temperature for the Australian yes. audience. Yes. Um, so yeah, it includes that. You know, it's uh, after I do that, I shower. Um, you know, I, I, I try to have my lunch made the night before. Um, and, you know, I've, I've also set my life up. So my early morning meeting, like the earliest I have a meeting is 11 a.m. Well, I love that. I should do that. Because you know what, I learned that like that I exercise for my brain. I need exercise for my brain. It is like it's if when exercise starts to slip, like there is a very clear correlation between my anxiety and depression and my ADHD symptoms getting worse when I'm not exercising. Yeah, same here. Do you think is it the the aerobic side of it with pickleball? Because you're probably running around a fair bit, or is it so being I, outdoors? I, I, Yes. And yes. And, you know, pickleball to me, it's, it's literally, it's a game of get the ball, 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 get the ball. Right. So it's just like, it's, 
my brain just loves it. It is like, it is my happy place. It is, you know, I say it's cheaper than therapy. Um, and it's, it's social and it's fun. And uh, at least where I play it also just, I don't know, it attracts just a little bit more of a quirky group of people and you get to play with people of all ages, which is also kind of fun. Um, but yeah, fun matters. Like fun definitely matters. I'm going to check it out because I, I used to play tennis when I was a kid. And for me, it was quite anxiety provoking because it, it felt very high intensity that if I screwed it up, I'd let my doubles partner down. But I've heard maybe it's a little bit more compassionate, the game of pickleball. You know, it's, it's a game called pickleball. I always think it's funny when people take it so seriously where they're getting upset on the court. I'm like, it's called pickleball. Just relax. You know, it's, <laughs> it's funny because like I... I'm like this yin yang of, uh, of a competitive person. Like I play very competitively, but I actually don't care whether or not I win or not. Like I'm just there to have fun. That's great. I'll have to try it again. Cause I've literally smashed tennis rackets and it's not like I was good at it. I was just a <laughs> mediocre player, but there was so much self-judgment when I'd screw it up that I've, I've broken at least two rackets. So maybe I and should try pickleball now. And the thing that I actually like about pickleball too, for and I think why it's become such a, a fast growing sport, at least here in the US, uh, is that it's an easy game to start, right? It takes a lot of practice to get really, really good at it, like anything. But like, I, I always found tennis to be awkward. Like, like the serve, I can never figure out that tennis serve. I hated it, the, the overhand tennis serve. Pickleball, you serve underhand. Ooh, I like that. I can see how that fades into for the rest of the day as well. When you were talking about exercising for the brain, I, I do find that as well, that it not only helps my mood, but also my productivity for the rest of the day. What other tactics do you have for optimizing your productivity? Um, saying no to a lot of things. Um, and that's, you know, it's, I'm not always successful with it, but it's actually one of the, the over the last, you know, 10 years since I started ADHD Rewired um, has been one of the, the, most important things that I've really learned that has really shaped that the less I do, the more productive I am. Um, and, and not that I am doing less, I'm just doing a less instance variety of things because then it allows me to, to really systemize more of what I'm doing, um, which has sometimes has had a paradoxical effect in the sense that because of what I do, it is really routine. Um, you know, I have my, my launch cycles for my coaching groups and then we have the groups and it's kind of rinse and repeat and, you know, because I've been doing it for so long, it's like I'm not as dependent on using like my task list or project management uh, tool because I know what I need to be doing. But the downside of that is when I have a couple like one-off things, I will sometimes forget to look at my task list because I think I know what I need to be doing. Hmm. Um, hmm. And it's identifying when when my peak hours for for uh, work are. And it's also, I've been spending a lot of time over the last couple of years, really like just learning how to be a better leader, um, you know, so, cause I'm not the only one that, that coaches uh, in my program. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, I, I feel like the gap between where I want to be as a leader and where I am has, has gotten uh, smaller, but it is, uh, it's been, a, it's been a, a, a challenge um, and something that's been kind of a fun challenge. Um, but I want, you know, my goal is to have the biggest impact I can on people with ADHD so they don't feel alone. Um, and to know that you actually can thrive with ADHD, like it doesn't need to, um, you know, life doesn't always need to be so, so hard. We don't need ADHD alone. 
And I think that's one of like the most important things I've learned um, and why I'm such a, a proponent of community-based and coaching and group-based uh, uh, programs because it's, yeah, don't ADHD alone. Hmm. I certainly can attest to that as well. It makes me feel a lot better when I hear other people. When you mentioned identifying peak hours for productivity, that made me think that maybe you take breaks as part of your day. So we're going to take a quick break now. Hi there, Focus and Chillers. Are you ready to supercharge your knowledge in the realms of creativity, tech, and psychology? Come check out my fortnightly newsletter. In each edition, you'll get quick wins and actual takeaways that you can put into practice right away. If this sounds like you, I'd love to have you as a reader. Subscribe for your fortnightly dose of insights. The link is in the show notes. And now, let's get back to the show. All right, we're back. And there may be a correction here. I made an assumption that you take a lot of breaks, but based on your piano playing, maybe you don't take breaks? Jeremy, one of my probably most challenging ADHD symptoms is transitioning, which mm. means it, I am not great at taking breaks. Um, like One of the things that I should do uh, in our adult study hall community, so once a month I will run, uh, it's called a Pomodoro dance party. So mm. it's we do two 50-minute work blocks, and then after each 50-minute work block, we'll do a 10-minute actually like dance party. And the reason <laughs> I do that is because like, I've learned too that physical movement is such an important part of taking an effective break. Mm -hmm. um, and then that accountability of like, oh wait, I'm leading this and we're doing this together. Uh, you know, every time I take a good break, I'm like, oh, I should do this more often. But it's definitely something that I would benefit from doing more. <laughs> cool. Well, maybe that's a habit you'd like to remove from your life in terms of not working nonstop. You know, I, I have gotten so much better at that. It, now there was a story that I that I told, and it's it's funny because it's it's true that there was a while I was looking into and I found it in my area a twelve step meeting for Workaholics Anonymous, and I was gonna go and I had it on my calendar, but I ended up not going because I ended up working late. <laughs> I have and that was a couple of years ago. I have actually I've I've gotten way 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 better with my work life balance. It is uh um which has been, you know, actually part of what it's helped is actually getting divorced has actually helped me because it's like, if I have that end urgency of, oh, I have to go pick up my son now. And I just, now it's like forced, mm -hmm. I say family has forced on me, but like, yeah, I'm responsible for, you know, for being dad. And um, it's actually worked really well for me. Hmm. Okay. That's encouraging because I'm considering well, my wife and I are working towards having a child and I've had concerns about will I actually step up and be part of it. Have you found that just having the child has, has made you naturally want to, to be there? Um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of a, a complicated story with, with divorce uh, in there as well, but um, I will say now I love being dad and um, it's uh yeah, it's. I feel like it was, there wasn't as much of a partnership as, as I wish there were um, when I was married. Um, but yeah, I I really do enjoy uh, being dad, even though my son drives me nuts sometimes. But I don't know any parent who wouldn't say that about their kid. That they're you know my kid my kid is also neurodivergent. I actually had him on my my podcast a while back. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, he's he's twelve years old. He was on. I think he was like nine or ten. Um, so yeah, that's uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's helped. It has helped me be more present and uh, help me leave work at work. Um, because you know that that thing of like when I'm when you're home, you're thinking about work, and when you're at work, you're thinking about home. Like I've gotten a lot better at like when I'm at work, I'm thinking about work, and when I'm home, I'm thinking about home, mostly. Hmm. 
Oh, I still aspire to that. Uh, my brain <laughs> finds it hard to shut off. So what are your secrets to switching off at night? And one thing that I, a couple of years ago, I, I became very intentional about is about not starting any sort of creative project, like after five or 6 PM. Cause like my brain just won't stop then. Right. And it's like, I'll ignore all the, all the cues of hunger of needing to go to the bathroom. Like, all these things I'm like, eh, until I'm like cranky and irritable and like starving. And then I will eat anything that's put in front of me. Right. Um, Cause stopping is hard. Right. And so in mm. the evening I'm doing something I like doing and I need to stop and my brakes aren't working because my meds have worn off and my executive function tank is, is depleted. Like it's going to be problematic for me. And so part of managing ADHD means know your tendencies and you know work around those don't keep stepping in the minefield if you know that the next step is a minefield <laughs> mm, that makes sense and instead you mentioned that you make your lunch the night before what other things do you do as part of your evening routine yeah i actually make my lunch before i start making dinner and i do that as a way to because i don't like making my lunch i find it like kind of a pain and so <laughs> what i do and I don't love batching either. So I sort of mini batch. I'll make, I'll make two days of my lunch in one day, but I do it before I am making dinner because I'm hungry. So I'm like motivated to hurry up, get done with my lunch so I can make dinner. Cause after I've already, you know, made dinner, like my, I'm, you know, I just want to sit on the couch and, and kind of relax or I'll get my mm. Sunday early to bed. And by the time that's done, like I have, I have nothing left. So the things I try to do, like when I'm, but I'm doing the things that I know are helpful for me. Um, it's either listening or playing music. Sometimes I'll watch TV, um, you know, talk with with friends or my partner. Um, uh, go for motorcycle rides. That's actually been, I, I said, I knew uh, last year I got my motorcycle license. I figured, you know, all right, I got divorced. I turned 40. The next logical thing seemed to be to get a, a motorcycle. Um, <laughs> You know, weather permitting, that's one of my very, very favorite things to do is uh, is my motorcycle, especially. But it's not a dirt bike, right? You're not out on the trails running into trees. No, it is it is, it is not a dirt bike. Um, I have thought about that because it looks really fun. Um, but it's it's a it's a big cruiser, uh, a big engine, and um, it's it's super fun. And I always wear a helmet. So I believe in Good. taking risks carefully. <laughs> Love it. What resources would you recommend for people? Your your own the accountability groups that you run and your podcast are obviously on that list. What else do you find helpful? Uh, you know, community. I think anything where you can find community, whether it's, uh, you know, our, our uh, co-working community, adult study hall or our coaching groups. We even have a, a free Facebook community. Um, uh, and there's there are lots of great ADHD communities out there. Um, you know, some are paid membership communities, some are free communities. Like I say, find, find your communities. I think that's one of the most important things, um, you know, and, and search different content. Um, now there's, it's funny when, when I first started podcasting, like there was like me and I think four other ADHD podcasts out there. Um, now it's like me and everyone else and their mother who has ADHD or has an ADHD <laughs> podcast. Um, but you know, but there are good podcasts out there and I think that there are, uh, people's different things resonate with different people. Um, obviously, like 
YouTube, you know, uh, there's a sort of this joke too about like TikTok. Like TikTok seems to be the place where everyone's getting diagnosed with ADHD now. Um, mm. Which is on one hand, it's like okay, like if if people are like genuinely have ADHD and they're they're learning about it through that, like great. But there's also a lot of things that people are saying. You know, this is an ADHD symptom. It's like actually that's not an ADHD symptom, and you're not a mental health professional, and you're passing things off like you're entertaining, which is great. But like like you know one of the things that like Jessica McKay with with how to ADHD that I so admire about her work is you no know, she's not a mental health professional and she has a team of like research consultants like on her that work with her that make so she makes sure and does so much due diligence that what she is putting out there is science based right because there's there's a lot of information that like might seem like it makes sense but I think looking at what science says is important. So how to ADHD on on uh, YouTube, um, obviously the the my podcast ADHD Rewired, um, you know audiobooks like I read with my ears. There's lots of ADHD uh, uh, books out there, um, and just you know finding your your thing. You know it's but I will say this: there are lots of people who collect information about ADHD, but then don't do anything with it. Instead of reading twelve books on ADHD, why don't you read one book twelve times? and really develop the, the skills and strategies that are contained within that book. Hmm. Sage advice. If people want to connect with you or follow your work, is ADHDrewired.com the best place? That is the best place. You can find everything there. There's a contact form on there. You can learn about our coaching groups, our, our co-working uh, program at Dell Study Hall. Um, you know, you can get this podcast on the same podcast app you're listening to the sign right now. Um, yeah, so ADHD Rewired. Rewired.com. Fantastic. Do you have any final words or asks for the audience? Any words or asks for the audience? Um, be kind to yourself. You are doing the best that you can, and you know, your best will be different day to day. And um, just be patient with yourself. I think that's, you know, I think as, as any good ADHD or will say, we want growth yesterday, right? Like growth is going to take more time than you want it to. Um, I, I circle with this as well. Like, you know, I, like even with my therapist, I'm like, can we skip this step so we can just get to the next thing already? Like, it's like, yeah, no. Like, hmm. so I get it. Like part of ADHD is being patient. Try to be patient with yourself, love yourself, find your community because you're going to find people that love you for who you are, not just like because of who you are. And um, yeah, so just be kind and gentle to yourself. Thanks. Really words that I need to take on myself. Thanks a lot for coming on the show, Eric. No, oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Focus and Chill podcast. To listen to other episodes, jump onto podcast.focusbear.io. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a good fit, email us at team at focusbear.io. Otherwise, stay focused, stay chilled, and peace out. <laughs>